Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This is the Arena Sports Network Sunday Inspiration, live from Door Village United Methodist Church in LaPorte, Indiana. Holy God, you have called us not only to be disciples, but to make disciples. Help us to be grounded in your word and recognize where you are at work in each of our lives. Let your light and love shine through us so our lives are a witness to your glory. As we come before you in prayer, we are thankful for the men and women who serve in our armed forces. We especially remember those who have given their lives in service to our country. May we never forget that sacrifice made on our behalf. Father, we pray that you would grant wisdom and discernment to those who face difficult decisions. Enable them to think clearly and have confidence in the process that your will is being done in and through them. Father, as we come together in your presence, we pray that you would comfort all who grieve, those who mourn the loss of a loved one, as well as those who mourn changes in life circumstances. May they find hope in the promise of your love, your life. Bring healing, O God, and grace to those who are recovering from illness or surgery, those who are exhausted and worn down, and into all the broken places in our lives. O God, giver of light and life, we give thanks to you for the joys in our lives, for this community, our family and friends, for the pleasure of a summer day and the blessing of being your people in your world. Father, we pray all of these things in your Son's name, who taught us to pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
The scripture reading for this morning comes from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, and of course leave it to me to, to use the Psalms for pretty much every message in the sermon series except the last one, but this is an important change, and you'll get the importance of that as we move along. Mark 8, 22 through 25. Jesus and his disciples came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him and heal him. Taking the blind man's hand, Jesus led him out of the village. After spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on the man, he asked him, Do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees, only they're walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. He looked with his eyes wide open. His sight was restored, and he could see everything clearly. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Now, in the last sermon of our series entitled, Come to Your Senses, we've yet to talk about touch, and that's what we'll be dealing with today. Well, we started with our sense of smell and the powerful way that our sense of smell and different sense can impact things like memories and emotions for us. Before Christ, when the faithful would make burnt offerings to God to do anything to absolve them from their sins, uh, that, was, that was the point was to please God in order to make Him forgive you in that way, to have some sort of uh, to be motivated to do that. Since Jesus' life and work removed our requirement to be responsible for our own salvation, the idea then becomes more figurative. Would the aroma of our lives, what Paul called uh, should be living sacrifices, would our lives, the aroma of our lives, be pleasing to God? We then focused our attention on sight. Certainly, it is perfectly acceptable to be in awe of the majesty of God's creation, right? I mean, the sweeping plains, the majestic peaks, the tallest mountains, and the brilliant colors of all types of flora and fauna. Now, these are all beautiful things, and as the song suggests, God does, in fact, make beautiful things. However, for the everyday experience of the Christian. Seeing other people is the key. Specifically, we must see that they are creatures of sacred work, worth. Ignoring the fact that they come with their own baggage, their different life experiences, and different opinions of what life should be about, and see the image of God in them and act accordingly. Now, in one message, we discovered how our sense of hearing is important to our experience of God. The conclusion of which being that hearing and its most dazzling benefit, music, at least in my opinion, should be more broadly embraced in order to enhance our ability to worship the one by whom it was created. And then last week I took advantage of the Eucharist to explain how taste connects us with God. The Psalms invite us, of course, to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Surely this is more figurative than literal, but important nonetheless. We talked about how the few Christian victims of the Holocaust partook of communion with nothing to eat or to drink. More than anything, the sense reminded us that God's grace is powerful enough to connect to us, enrich us, and sustain us through even life's most devastating of circumstances. So certainly, we should taste and see that the Lord is good. In our final installment, then, we turn to touch. And it brings me to a story of a woman named Barbara, who was 31 years old and a mother of three children. And she was starting a possible battle with thyroid cancer. As she awaited the results of some tests, she revisited what she knew of her faith and found that she had more than just a little bit of faith in God. As her story is told, given her intimate familiarity with the Gospels, it's not surprising that Barbara found a metaphor for her personal healing in one particular Bible passage. One Sunday, as she was praying in the church, the Gospel story was of the woman with a hemorrhage that came to her mind. The woman wanted to be healed, but she didn't want to bother Jesus, so she approached him in a crowd and touched his robe. Of course, Jesus knew what happened and praised the woman for her faith. Barbara said she wanted to be like that woman. As Barbara prepared to go to, uh, go to the altar for communion, she suddenly thought, I could be like her. Now, as an Episcopalian, Barbara viewed the priest who was presiding over Holy Communion, or the Eucharist, as a stand-in for Jesus during the service. She decided that she would touch the priest's robe when he gave her the communion wafer. I touched his robe, and, and he couldn't have known what I did, she said, though he did know about my cancer. He did something in that moment that I have never seen him do before. He put down the patine and uh, patin, probably. Steve, is it patin? Thank you. Okay. I wasn't sure about the pronunciation, but Steve is our resident Episcopalian, so he's got the knowledge of that. But he puts down the patent with the communion wafers and came over to Barbara. She said, laying both hands on my head, he prayed for my healing. After receiving the communion wine, Barbara stood up at the altar. I was so overwhelmed with God's love that I knew I was healed, she said. My healing wasn't physical at that point, but my heart was healed. I wasn't anxious or afraid or doubtful or sad at all. I had complete trust in God and His love, something He knew I needed far more than any other kind of healing in that moment. A few weeks after her healing at the altar rail, Barbara's surgery revealed that the lump on her neck was indeed thyroid cancer. She went through treatments then and six months later for a recurrence. Somehow the medical treatments too seemed like they were directly coming from God. I felt that God had simply completed a healing He had started at the altar at church. And all of it began with a simple touch. Now these types of stories, stories like Barbara's and other stories like hers, these are the types of things that we think about most, most likely when we think about what our faith has to do with our sense of touch. 
right? I mean, the book of James implores those in need to come forward before the church to be anointed with oil, which becomes then the laying upon of hands upon the individual and then prayer as well. Touch, however, is more multifaceted and speaks very broadly and specifically and significantly to our human experience. Consider for a moment when, you know, how we capture a baby's first photograph nowadays, an infant's first photograph. You know, the first picture of me was when I was lying in a crib in the nursery at the hospital. I mean, this was 1981. You know, nowadays, things have changed dramatically, even as we have photographers in the delivery room taking photos of every single second of the event of childbirth. I mean, you've seen this, right? These very intimate pictures of, of these very intimate moments. You know, and that first picture can be at any moment. It can be when the doctor first holds the baby up, or it can be as the newborn infant is curling up on mommy's chest for the first time with nothing between them. Now, sometimes this that specific moment is it's a kangaroo care is what they call it sometimes. This is skin-to-skin touch contact and is considered beneficial in many ways, from helping the infant to regulate its body temperature to social development. This intimate touch can be vital to the health of any given infant. In fact, as I was reading up on some of the facts, I found that uh, 15-year-olds who had experienced kangaroo care, as it's called, had brains that were far more developed than those who didn't. Now, the obvious statement is that kangaroo care wasn't quite the rage when I was born, so that may explain a couple of things. (laughs) But this is no surprise to us, right? The importance of of touch, the importance of of human contact, human to human, we, we know this, right? I mean, from the first time we hold hands with with our significant other, right? I mean, your heart pounding and your palms maybe a bit sweaty. To those times in life when, when life is just tearing us down and all we really need is a hug. We know just how important touch truly is. I mean, God didn't create Eve just so Adam wouldn't have to work so hard on selecting the names for all the animals. God created a partner for Adam, and he knew that they were going to eventually find out just how important their sense of touch was to each other. I mean, some of the most significant of Jesus' stories have to do with touch, right? I mean, there's the woman who needed to touch only the hem of Jesus' garment in order to be healed. All it took was the slightest touch of Jesus' robe. Earlier in our chapter from our scripture this morning, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus touches a man with leprosy. Verboten in that time. I mean, absolutely forbidden. You don't do that because we don't know a whole lot about the disease. We could catch it and you could get it. For a whole list of reasons, you don't do that. But Jesus wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty and risk anything in order for others to feel the healing touch of the divine. How does Jesus heal the blind? He reaches down, he grabs some mud, rubs it in their eyes, and they're healed. Touch is not only important for our everyday faith experience, but has been important since Jesus himself. 
As I was thinking about this this week, I, I was I, remembering that, that it doesn't get mentioned much, uh, but uh, many of you will no doubt have noticed that after I receive the elements during communion, I will make the sign of the cross. Now, for those who may not know exactly what that is, that's when you take your thumb and you touch it to your forehead, then you bring it down to your sternum, and then you touch either of your shoulders. I mean, we know kind of what that's about. You know, I cannot remember when I began to do it. I just, what I can tell you is that what deep and abiding appreciation that I have of the Eucharist, it got me to thinking very much about how I observe it on a personal level and really just sort of folded it into my personal observance, observance of the sacrament. Now, as most of you probably, the, the, the idea came to mind that this is traditionally thought of as a Catholic expression of faith, right? I mean, that's exactly what we went to when we thought about this. The truth is, though, there is a long history of it being used in the Protestant tradition as well. I mean, I know that we have some from the Lutheran tradition with us this morning. Now, Luther believed that the sign of the cross played an important role in the faithful life, saying one should bless themselves with the sign of the cross, to bless themselves with the sign of the cross. Now, for my money, however, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is the Lutheran that I would listen to on this. To be sure, Bonhoeffer was a fan of Luther, and Bonhoeffer's uh, expression of the sign of the cross comes from Luther's admonition to, to Christians to make the sign of the cross. But Bonhoeffer learns a greater appreciation for the sign when he is imprisoned in Tegel prison during World War II. You see, for those who don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, he was a German Lutheran pastor turned spy who was imprisoned for his role in attempting to overthrow the Third Reich. He was hung just days before the end of the war in Germany. The letters he wrote to his family and friends during that time are preserved in a book entitled Letters and Papers from Prison, and he would discuss this with different people in his life. He says of the sign of the cross, I found that following Luther's instruction to make the sign of the cross at our morning and evening prayers is most useful. And he says this, there's something objective about it. There's something objective about it. Bonhoeffer means by saying that, that the act of touching yourself in the shape of the cross has something to do with taking yourself out of the equation and making it all about God and the grace present in God's presence in your life. So rather than it being an empty ritual, you are emptying yourself of the process and, and allowing God to be more fully present with you. Now when I was reading these things about how Bonhoeffer and many other non-Catholic Christians sign themselves, I read some pretty strong arguments on the other side of this debate. I don't believe they were necessarily good arguments, but they were arguments on the other side nonetheless. The thrust of the arguments against them were something like, well, it is empty ritual, and it's essentially a pledge of loyalty to Rome over heaven, and this and that, and, and a lot of other things that sound a lot like that. Like I said, I don't necessarily think they're good arguments, but that's my opinion. One Christian blogger put the case for the sign of the cross as such. What we do physically affects us spiritually. 
It sounds obvious, but sometimes it helps to say it. What we do physically affects us spiritually, whether it's lowering our gaze when we pray, raising our hands in praise, bending our knee, or crossing ourselves. Physical actions have a qualitative spiritual effect on us. And when put that way, I mean, really, isn't it plain to see just how much of an effect the physical life has on our spiritual life? I mean, just as so many other things we encounter in our lives have a quantitative and qualitative effect on our spiritual lives, so too do the physical and tactile aspects of our faith. The things we do physically do affect us spiritually. That same blogger continues. Today, I make the sign of the cross when I pray, when I'm tempted, when I drive, when I walk, when I'm thankful, when I face something horrible or difficult. It didn't come naturally at first. I felt very self-aware and hesitant. But the more I did it, the more I came to cherish and even need to cross myself. For any believer, whether Catholic, Protestant, or Orthodox, such a confession is the furthest thing from empty ritual. It's a helpful step towards serious devotion. Now, having spent so much time on making the sign of the cross, let me tell you that I am not now advocating that we all drop everything that we've done spiritually in our lives, our whole lives, and start making the sign of the cross. I'm not going to start making that a requirement of being a Christian in Door Village United Methodist Church. It was the thrust of what the point is being made here. In no way am I attempting to convince you that you should make the sign of the cross. Now, we do need to realize, though, that touch is an important part of our spiritual lives. And and as a reminder of that, as uh, you leave today, there will be an usher in the back who will have a basket full of these little crosses. Something you can put in your pocket or, or your purse, something like that, that you can carry around and you can touch and and have as a reminder of the importance of the physical. And if only so that we can help empty ourselves so that God can be be more fully present. By this, what I'm trying to illustrate to you is to know how important our sense of touch can be to our experience of God. Just as any of our other senses can be. Now what touch ultimately helps us learn is that in a world where our faith is often considered or practiced in a one-dimensional fashion, the God we experience through all of our senses is a multi-dimensional God, a helpful step towards serious devotion would be to incorporate some of these into your daily life. In other words, come to your senses. And today let us give thanks to God for all five. Amen.